Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Ve sallallahu ala seyyidina Muhammedin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Esselamu aleykum ve rahmetullahi ve berekatuh. My name is Um Abdullah and I'm very happy to be back with you for another episode of Left or Right, The Straight Path, Please. In this episode, we will begin our tafsir, our explanation of Surah Al-Fatiha, the first chapter in the Quran. And from there, inshallah, we will be establishing what we will call the Al-Fatiha lens, which means our way of understanding our paradigm of looking at the world through the structure and the meanings of Surah Al-Fatiha, inshallah. Let's start with our dua from Imam Haddad for seeking knowledge and inshallah for orientating and navigating ourselves towards the acquisition of sacred knowledge. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inni nawaitu ta'allamu wa ta'alim wa tadakkar wa tadkir wa nafa wal intifaq wal ifada wal istifada wal hatha ala tamasuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulih وَالدُّعَاءَ إِلَى الْهُدَى وَالدَّلَالَةَ عَلَى الْخَيْرِ ابْتِغَاءَ وَجْهِ اللَّهِ وَمَرْضَاتِهِ وَكُرْبِهِ وَثَوَابِهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى I've since established an Instagram page called Misk Women and inshallah if you go there you will see an English translation of that dua. And also if there are any comments or questions or queries or anything at all, please feel free to contact me there, Misk Women at Instagram, inshallah. Before we get on to our discussion of Surat Al-Fatiha today, I would like to just draw a few loose ends together from the last episode and uh, move that discussion into its uh, final conceptual stage. We ended that discussion on theories and ideologies by saying that a theory becomes an ideology when it starts to have ideals attached to it. So there's a moral value attached to the ideas in the theory that makes people idealize those ideas to the point where it becomes something that they believe to have some type of truth in it. Now, I've been going step by step with this type of discussion because I know that it can be challenging to have these big words and concepts broken up and critiqued because that's usually not what happens. When people discuss ideologies and when it's an ideology that they have a particular inclination towards or they feel that that ideology somehow represents the truth that they believe in, then it's very challenging to have that broken apart and presented in a, in a way which might not make it look so favourable. So the next part of what I want to just mention about that before we go on is that not only do ideologies become something that are literally ideas that have become idealised, but what they really do is distort reality. So when a person takes on an ideology from any persuasion, whether it be a religious ideology, right-wing or conservative ideologies or left-wing ideologies, Marxist-based ideologies, then what they are doing is beginning to perceive reality through the values 
and paradigms that that ideology produces and it can overtake and overwhelm a person so much that they no longer really see what the reality of the situation is and their understanding and their conception and their acting on what they see around them becomes distorted due to the uh, zealousness with which they have taken on the perceived morals and truths and ideals of that ideology. If we look at a couple of quick examples, we'll see uh, nationalism as something which is associated with the right, with conservatism, and we can see around us an increase in the world in many different places of nationalistic ideology in which people have begun to perceive that their economic, their social and their political issues are affected by the influx of people from other countries and that there is a need to preserve their natural identity as the inhabitants of their land and to protect themselves from other people coming in and, for example, they believe taking their jobs or intermarrying and producing children of mixed ancestry, of bringing in values that they feel are foreign to their own and creating lifestyles that they may not necessarily agree with. So when a person takes on a nationalistic ideology or when that ideology starts to colour their understanding and perception of what is around them in their lived reality, then it can actually distort that and they can see other people as being less than human so they become dehumanised, they become devalued and may even become or represent to them a type of enemy that needs to be eliminated. We also have left-wing ideologies and these will be more difficult for people to deal with because a left-wing ideology that's based on a Marxist view of the world sees two major groups in a society in a form of opposition and the group that's perceived as being the weaker one or not having as much power is the one that needs to work and strive and struggle and overthrow the group that's perceived to be dominant. So if we take feminist ideology, for example, the perception of reality in society is now seen through the ideological lens of men against women or there being a dominant patriarchy that women have to now try and break down and overthrow. And when that ideology is adhered to in such a way that it perceives all of a woman's reality, then she cannot see herself except in an endless competition and fight for power in which men need to be subjugated and women need to be made victorious. And the extent of that is varied and has gone through many waves over the last hundred or so years perhaps 130-odd years, and we see that manifested in various forms. And our point of interest here in this podcast series is to see how that is affecting Muslim women specifically. And again, we can look at religious ideology, and we've had plenty of that in the news in the last five or so years with actions of very small groups of Muslims, very violent uh, very disconnected and detached and far away from Islam who have gone in under a certain banner, under a certain ideological view that they need to destroy 
other Muslims predominantly, as well as non-Muslims, who they believe do not adhere to their view of the world. I don't want to name them, but it's pretty obvious who it is. They had a very strong base there in northern Syria for a while. They appear now to have been eliminated. I'm not sure, inshallah, we can only hope so, because they're distorted perception of Islam and their completely distorted application of their distorted view has caused the most terrible destruction and loss of life. And this is a most regrettable state of affairs for them personally, for those whom they have affected, and of course for the rest of the Muslim uh, faith community around the world. So we can only pray, inshallah, that their evil has indeed come to an end and we hope that their distorted ideology has been cut off and ruined, inshallah. That really is the final point to make about what an ideology is and what an ideology does. So it's from there that we now go into trying to ascertain for ourselves a sound perspective of the world, a true perspective of the world that reflects the lived reality which we have here in the dunya, in this worldly life, through the paradigm of the Islamic scholarly and spiritual tradition. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to look at what is the basis, what are the, what's the usul or the roots, where do we take our understanding of Islam from? Well, first of all, as Muslims, we consider ourselves to be adherents to a faith system, which is called Islam. And Islam is what is called a deen or a way of life. So inshallah, our deen, our faith is based on the Islamic way of life imbued with Islamic uh, principles and values, which are derived from the Quran, which is a book of revelation, the final book of revelation, which was revealed to the final prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. Muhammad, who was the son of Abdullah, uh, who was from the tribe of the Bani Hashim, from the Quraysh, and he was born and lived in Mecca, and he passed away in Medina at the age of 63, and he is probably the most written about person in history. We know more details about him than we know about anybody else in the whole world, from the most personal to the most general. And he is, 1,400 years after his passing, the most visited person on the face of the earth. He has more visitors come to his grave than people go and visit anyone else anywhere ever. And this itself is testament to his message and, of course, to the person that he was. And his most superior akhlaq, his character and his manners and what it and the fact that he was the al-insan al-kamil, he was the most perfected human being. Without any divine ascription, he was not a god, he was not the progeny of any god, but in fact he was a human being, he was Bashar al-Rasul, he was a human messenger, and he is our kudwa, he is our role model, he is the one that we try and emulate, and it is him, through his living example of the Quran and Sayyidah Aisha, radiallahu anha, his wife, 
When she was asked about him after his death, she said that he was the walking Quran. So it was through him that the Quran was revealed and it is through him that the Quran was explicated. And it has been the job of the scholars since then to understand in more and more detail what the meanings of the Quran and what the meanings of his explication of that are. And it is from that that we have derived an extremely sophisticated system of knowledge, uh, which is the Islamic scholarly and spiritual tradition. And inshallah, we will be looking at the very beginning of that, the beginning in a formalized sense, which is the beginning of the Quran, which is Surah Al-Fatiha. The book that I am reading from primarily is called Hawl Tafsir Surah Al-Fatiha Um Al-Quran Al-Kareem. And that is by the Imam and the Quranic exegete and the Muhaddith, the scholar of Hadith, Sheikh Abdullah Sirajuddin Al-Husseini, who was one of the great modern scholars from Aleppo in Syria. And he passed away, I think, in 2002. May Allah's mercy be upon him. He's written many books, particularly about the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and also on the Quran and many other topics as well. And Alhamdulillah, he's written a very nice and fairly extensive book on the Surah Al-Fatiha, the first chapter in the Quran. First of all, we'll just mention basically what is the Quran. And in the books of Ulum al-Quran, which is the field of the sciences of the Quran, where everything about the Quran is discussed and defined and put in terms, then we find here that its meaning is ta'ala. It is the speech or the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a miracle. Miracle in Arabic, has a different meaning or connotation to what it does in English. In Arabic, a miracle is defined as something which occurs due to the temporary suspension of the normal state of affairs. It is also something that no human being can replicate or come with anything like it. In this case, the Quran is a miracle because it happened at a moment where ordinarily a human being does not receive divine revelation. However, it happened in this case over a period of 23 years and the Quran is considered to be a continuous miracle because within it are meanings which are still being discovered and although many have tried, every single person who has attempted to imitate it or copy it or produce anything like it has failed miserably. And the Quran even challenges people to come forward with something that resembles any of its chapters or verses. And clearly that has not ever been and nor will it ever be possible. And it is a book that will be preserved until the end of time in the original form in which it was revealed. Never has one letter from it or one vowel from it ever been changed, nor will it ever be changed. And it is memorized and stays in the hearts and in the minds of thousands and thousands of people, uh, hundreds and thousands of people of every generation, and will continue to do so. This is just a couple of points about the miraculousness of the Quran, that it in itself is a whole topic. Uh, but just to mention here that we are discussing some of the defining features or how the Quran has been defined. 
So it's the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a miracle. It was revealed to our Prophet Muhammad, the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the Arabic language via the trustworthy angel Jibril or Gabriel, on him be peace, alayhi salam. It is contained within the two covers of the Mus'haf. So it is revelation which has been compiled into a book and it has been transmitted generation after generation by something called tawatur, which is when groups of people transmit the same knowledge or the same information. And that is in itself considered to be a dalil or a proof which is definite. It's not a speculative proof. It's not possible that the Quran could be that because of the sheer volume of numbers of people who have transmitted the Quran generation after generation in exactly the same way, then it is considered to not be speculative, but it is indeed definitive that that is the words of the Quran and that what is contained between those two covers is indeed the actual Quran that was revealed to the Prophet Reciting the Quran is an act of worship. This is part of its definition and it begins with Surat al-Fatiha and it ends with Surat al-Nas. That is your basic definition, scholarly definition of the Quran. And it is upon that definition that we begin to build our understanding of Islam. And it is through that that we begin to establish our Islamic paradigm, our Islamic way of looking at the world, which is not a theory, nor is it an ideology, but rather it is a system of faith which has been developed over 14 centuries, actually more than that because the Quran is the final revelation and so revelation has come through from God, from Allah to the prophets since Adam salam, the first prophet, the first man who was ever created right through and there have been 120,000 or more prophets over time, 25 of them who are mentioned by name in the Quran uh, that's studied in the field of Aqidah. And the one that we are interested in the most, being part of his faith community, is the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And we respect and venerate and accept all the prophets who have come before, such as Jesus and Moses and Abraham and all the others. May Allah's peace be upon them all. And inshallah, it's the Quran which came to the heart of the Prophet ﷺ and it is what he brought to us that is upon which we base our understanding of the world and therefore our actions and how we live in the world based on that understanding, inshallah. There is so much that could be said about the Quran and Surat al-Fatiha. And indeed, Sheikh Fakhruddin al-Razi says that should a person extrapolate all the meanings from Surat al-Fatiha, they will find 10,000 different issues and concepts and problems and things to discuss in it, 10,000. Uh, and that's uh, quite something. It's the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the meanings of which never end. And the amazing and wondrous meanings of it also can never be fully fathomed. And this is a part of what makes it universal because every person in every time is able to find something or find more than something that is completely relevant to them and life-changing and purifying for them, inshallah. And it happens all the time.
There is a hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said, which is narrated in the collection of At-Tirmidhi, and he said that there will surely be immense tribulations. And it was asked, what is the escape from them, O Messenger of Allah? And he said, peace and blessings be upon him, the book of Allah, Azawajal, the book of Allah. It has news of those who came before, information about those who will come after you, wise guidance for your affairs. It distinguishes between truth and falsehood, and it is not frivolous amusement. Any tyrant who abandons it will be destroyed by Allah, and whoever seeks guidance in other than it will be misguided by Allah. It is the unbreakable rope of Allah, the wise remembrance and the straight path. Whims are unable to pervert it, tongues cannot be confused by it, and scholars can never be satiated by it. It never becomes worn or old by repetition, and its wonders are never ending. Whoever speaks by it is truthful, whoever acts by it is rewarded, whoever judges according to it is just, and whoever is called to it is guided to Asiratul Mustaqim, the straight path. Inshallah, that is what we base our view of reality on. And that should be quite clear, inshallah. That really summarizes and encompasses the general meanings of the Quran. And the Quran is summarized and encompassed by the meanings of Surah Al-Fatiha. So it is now that we will go into Surah Al-Fatiha as what is contained in that, in those seven short verses at the beginning of the Qur'an, is then explicated by the rest of the Qur'an. And as we've mentioned, that in itself was now explicated by the living practice of the Prophet ﷺ. So inshallah we will start now with some of the names and the benefits of Surah Al-Fatiha. Our Sheikh and spiritual guide, Al-Habib Omar ibn Hafid, has said about Surah Al-Fatiha, and we will read it, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'een, Ihdina Sirat Al-Mustaqeem, Sirat Al-Adhina An'amta Alayhim, غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين. آمين. A brief translation would be something like Bismillahirrahmanirrahim in the name of Allah, the most merciful and compassionate. All praise is for Allah, the Lord of the worlds, the most merciful, the most compassionate, the sovereign of the day of judgment. It is you that we worship and it is you from whom we seek help. Guide us on the straight path, the path of those of whom you have blessed, not those who have earned your wrath or those who have gone astray. For a very good translation, I suggest you check some websites or other books where professional translators have given a sound meaning, but just for our purposes and as a working translation, inshallah, then I hope that is sufficient. He said... Habib Omar, may Allah protect and preserve him, if he, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, knew a dua or a supplication that was better for us, more prosperous and blessed than this dua, then he would have placed it in our fatiha instead of this dua 
which is ihdina sirat al-mustaqim, guide us to the straight path. But this is the most prosperous, most blessed and most honourable du'a. And inshallah, that is a statement that really bears witness to the all-encompassing nature and the power and the purpose of asking Allah to guide us on the straight path. Surah Al-Fatiha was the third or fourth surah or chapter that was ever revealed. And it is said by the scholars that it was revealed twice, once in Mecca and then once in Medina when the Qibla or the direction of prayer was changed from Al-Quds from Jerusalem to Mecca. Surah Al-Fatiha is recited at least 17 times a day in each rakah of the obligatory prayers. And it has about 20 names, so we will mention some of them. One of them is Ummul Qur'an, the mother of the Qur'an. And the reason why it is given such a venerated name as the mother is because the mother is the asl or the source of anything. The mother is the marjia, which is the reference point to which one returns. The mother is also known as an authority or a source to which something can be attributed. So calling Surat al-Fatiha Ummul Qur'an is a most reverential and respected name for it. Surat al-Fatiha is also called Fatihatul Kitab the opening of the book, because it is the opening chapter of the Qur'an. Its position as the greatest chapter in the Qur'an is verified by a particular hadith from a sahabi, from a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, who said, his name was Abu Sa'id al-Mu'alla, and he said that one day he was praying in the mosque in Medina, And the Prophet, peace be upon him, called me, he said, but I did not respond to his call. Afterwards, he went to him and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I was praying. And he said to me, didn't Allah say to you? And the Prophet quoted a Quran, which which means, O you who believe, respond to Allah and to his apostle when he calls you. Why did the Prophet want to speak to him in such an urgent way, even though the man was praying? Because he said, shall I not teach you the most superior surah in the Quran? And he said it is, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, which of course is the beginning of Surah Al-Fatiha, all praise for Allah, the Lord of the worlds. And he said, because it consists of the seven oft-repeated verses, which are called asabaul mathani. The seven verses of praise is one interpretation of that meaning. It consists of seven off-repeated verses and the magnificent Qur'an, Wal-Qur'an al-Azim, which was given to me. And the Prophet ﷺ on the night of the Isra wal-Mi'raj, then he was told by Allah that he was given Surah Al-Fatiha and that this was the gift given to him, peace be upon him, and to his ummah, to his faith community. Surah Al-Fatiha is also known as Al-Kafiyah. Fatiha is sufficient and all-encompassing for every state of a believer and if they mention that while seeking something or thanking Allah for something then inshallah whatever they are seeking will be fulfilled. Surah Al-Fatiha is also used for curing and for remedying illness and it's called a ruqya 
which means that it is something of the Qur'an that because it is the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it in itself is used for its healing properties. And there is a story from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri when he went out with a group of companions and they came across some Bedouin, some Arab people in the desert, and they asked them if they could spend the night with them and if they could feed them. And this being the tradition of hospitality amongst the Arabs, that of course this was always a given, that should people come to you, then they are always fed and looked after to the best of the ability of the tribe. However, these people rejected them, which was extremely unusual. And they said that you come from that man, meaning the prophet, peace be upon him. And they didn't like it that they were his companions, so they sent them away. And in the morning, one of their tribes people came running to this group of companions and said, is there anybody here who can help us because our leader has been bitten by a scorpion? Because the tribe had refused them hospitality the night before, then Abu Sa'id al-Khudri said to them, I can cure him, but you will have to give us something for it because you didn't host us the way that you should have. So had the tribe hosted them, then of course he would have just gone and looked after the leader of the tribe. But because they were rude and stingy, then he felt that he didn't need to reciprocate in the usual and traditional way. They agreed that they would pay them 30 or 40 of their goats. And he went to them and he put his hand over the bite and he read Surah Al-Fatiha. Some say once, some say three times, others say seven times. Anyway, he read it with such a way and with such depth of faith that the man was cured. And this is one of our proofs of it being a cure. Another name that is given to Surah Al-Fatiha is As-Salah. Salah has two meanings. The technical term that we're all familiar with is the name for the prayer. And the other more common and lexical meaning for the word is that it is a supplication. Surah Al-Fatiha contains every type of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it contains every form of praise and majesty and it also shows the position of the servant in their servanthood. So, موقف العبد في موقف العبودية لرب العالمين And it shows his establishment and continuation of his worship. The reason why it's called As-Salah is because this particular dua or supplication or act of worship is mentioned in a hadith as having been divided between Allah and his servant. It's narrated in Muslim and by Imam Ahmed from Abu Hurairah anhu, that he said that the Prophet وسلم, said from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has divided as-salah, meaning Surah al-Fatiha, between him and his servant, and he's divided it into two parts. So he says that when my servant, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, giving the Prophet ilham or inspiration, this is not revelation, when, when he says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, all praises for Allah, Lord of the worlds, then Allah says, my servant has praised me. Then when he says, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Allah says, my servant has praised me with thana. So there's hamd, which is a form of praise, and thana, which is another form of praise. 
In English, there's only one word for both. Then when the servant says, Maliki yomiddin, the sovereign of the day of judgment, then Allah says, Majedani abdi. So he has glorified me and there's not a verb for it, but he has made me majestic and great. So he has shown and expressed the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then it is said that when my servant says, It is you that we worship and you from whom we seek help that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, This is between me and my servant and for my servant is whatever he asks. And then when the servant says, Then when my servant says, Guide us to the straight path, the path of those whom you have blessed, not those who have earned your wrath or gone astray, Allah says, This is for my servant, and my servant shall receive what he asks. There is a hadith where the Prophet said, تركتكم على مثل البيضاء لا يزيغ عنها إلا هالك which means that I have left you on البيضاء on something like the path the pure path and there is nobody who deviates from it except that he is destroyed Sheikh Abdullah Sirajuddin says to us that what is meant by al-bayda is the path. And he says, asiratul mustaqim. It means the straight path. When the worshipper, when the believing Muslim asks Allah in Surah Al-Fatiha, ihdina sirat al-mustaqim, guide us on the straight path, then indeed he is asking for that. And he says, whoever wants to travel this path that connects him and enables him to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then he needs to follow the suluk of that path. Then he needs to follow the proper way to be on that path. So following you, O Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the one who is our guide and the one who we place before us as we walk behind him. There are some other meanings of al-bayda. It can literally mean the path, so the method in which a person lives their life according to what Allah has put forward as obligations and prohibitions and following the way of Islam. And it can also mean to be pure-hearted. So in that case, when it says here in the hadith, لا يزيغ عنها إلا هالك, so the one who deviates from it will be destroyed then it means that if a person's heart is pure, then what comes to him of difficulty or prosperity, which are two opposites, won't affect him or push him off the straight path or her, of course. So what the straight path is, is a means of traversing through. So whatever state of conditions that people find themselves in, whether it be material or uh, lifestyle or anything that's going on in a person's life of either effect, whether there be an abundance or whether there be a deprivation of any kind, then a person doesn't change their state of heart and they keep walking through on this pure path behind the Prophet ﷺ, meaning what? Following the example that he's left us with the guidance of the Quran, inshallah, and that is the straight path. 
Inshallah, we'll leave it there for now and continue with our discussion of Surah Al-Fatiha next time, Inshallah, where we will begin with the Basmalah. If you would like to learn a little bit about the Basmalah, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, then you are welcome to go to our other podcast, The Beginning of Guidance for Muslim Women. And the episode there, number four, is a whole episode on the Basmala. And there are some interesting points there. And inshallah, we will be taking up some other points about it here in our next episode. Inshallah, I look forward to joining you. May Allah accept your fasting and your prayers and your reading of the Quran, inshallah, as we are in Ramadan, Ramadan Mubarak, the month of the Quran. Inshallah, may it be a month of great contemplation and spiritual purification. Inshallah, we ask Allah to bless us all and benefit us all. Inshallah, see you next time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sallam. Wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.